0: This episode of The Way Home Podcast is sponsored by The Good Book Company. We're thankful for our partners at The Good Book Company who publish gospel-centered resources to equip the church. And to celebrate our partnership, The Good Book Company is offering a 30% discount on all of our ERLC staff titles on their website until the end of October. So you'll want to take advantage of this. So you can pick up a copy of my book, The Dignity Revolution, or Andrew Walker's book, God and the Transgender Debate, the children's book, God's Very Good Idea, by my colleague Trillian Newbell, for these exclusive low prices. So visit thegoodbook.com today and use the code ERLC30 to get 30% off. What does it feel like to have hundreds if not thousands of believers praying for you uh, when you're in the midst of a big decision or your life is in peril or you're fulfilling a call to serve Christ. Well today my guest John Anwuchekwa can share a very powerful story of the Lord's calling on his own life. He is a pastor and church planner in Atlanta. He's written a powerful new book on corporate prayer that I think is really essential reading for pastors and church leaders and really anyone who's serious about following Christ. John came on the podcast to not only share insights on what corporate prayer actually is and the power of it and how churches can sort of organize this, but also the calling on his own life. Uh, He came out of a, a very robust discipleship culture at the University of North Texas in Denton. There was an interesting time when he was on an overseas trip where he felt like God was calling him into full-time vocational ministry. I'm not going to spoil it for you. I'm going to let John share that uh, in this conversation. But I think you'll enjoy this. Uh, John has some really, really good insights on church leadership, on prayer, and what it means to follow Jesus. Let's join our conversation with John on Wuchakwa. John, thanks for joining me, man.
1: Thanks for having me, man.
0: We could probably spend 25 minutes, 30 minutes talking NBA, but we won't do that. We could. We won't. Uh, I'd love to, uh, but it's pretty wild with yeah. LeBron going to the Lakers. and I don't know. Kind of crazy, huh? Mellow
1: Mello comes to Houston, and I think people are doubting, but I think that's it. That's all that we needed, man. I think he put us over the top. Missing piece? So, but The missing yeah. piece? Uh, yeah. I think, yeah, that's it. But again, that's another time yeah. for another day. Another t- we could really talk about
0: that. Right? Yeah, we're, we're actually going to talk about a much more important topic, and that's the topic of prayer. You have a great new book out on prayer, and particularly corporate prayer, which you don't see a, a lot written on that, and I think it's very important. Right.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: I can't imagine there's anyone out there that doesn't know who John O. is, but let's just imagine that there is. Maybe tell them your story of uh, how you became a Christian and sort of became uh, a pastor in the Atlanta area. Yeah. Um,
1: man, I grew up in a Christian household to two... Uh, Nigerian parents that came to the States 45 years ago, something like that. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, we, I grew up in a home where, you know, regardless of how late we were to school or basketball practice or anything like that, we would stop, you know, sing songs to the Lord, read the scriptures, pray. Um, so it's like, yeah, I, I grew up in just a real faithful and devout Christian uh, household, made a profession of faith at a young age, but due to my own ignorance and hard-heartedness, it was just confusing to me in terms of what do I do now? So um the summer after college, and I guess this is really where things turn for me, the summer after college, my parents took me and my four brothers and sisters back to Nigeria mm-hmm. for a month, you know, was family to see our roots, learn where we came from and all that. Well, uh, prior to this point, I had planned on staying close to Houston to go to college, you know, to play ball at the school that my brother played at. I was dating a girl at the time that was going to go to the same school, and I kind of thought that I had my life mapped out. And four days before we're getting ready to come back to the States, um, we're driving down a dirt road in the middle of the night and we get a flat tire, so mm-hmm. our driver steps out of the car, changes the flat tire, and right when we're getting ready to get back into the car, uh, two men come from out of nowhere with guns, and they shoot the guns up in the air. You know, they take my mom's wedding rings, they push us all down mm-hmm. on the ground, they say, "If anybody looks up, we're gonna kill y'all." And so at that point, you no, know, they're going through the back of our car and they take all of our money, our passports, our plane tickets. You know, all I can think as I'm laying down on this dirt road is, Mm. um, you know, I think I know Jesus. (laughs) You know, I said the sinner's prayer at least, you know, 60 times this past year trying to make sure that it still worked. But (laughs) I was just so unsure. And I just felt like, man, I do not know where I will go if these guys put two bullets in the back of my head. And more than that, I just had this sense that, You know, I wasted my whole life, right? Mm. Basketball, the girl I was dating could do nothing for me. And so it was just, man, in July, on that dirt road, Mm. 16 years ago, Mm. I just said, Lord, if you will save me and deliver me, I'll spend the rest of my life um, trying to make sure that people know how good you are. Mm. And, um, yeah, and so, you know, long story short, the... Lord save us. We left unharmed. You know, a random guy came out of nowhere, paid for our cab fare. So, like, he drove us to a cab station, paid for our cab fare. We went to the embassy the mm. next day, got replacement passports and plane tickets, and left when we should. We mm. just found out later that on that same road, you know, a man and his wife uh, were robbed and they were both shot and killed. That here mm. God had spared us. So that just led me, you know, I came home. And I told my, you know, the guys that I grew up with that I, or dirt with, guys that I love, um, I, I just said, man, um, I think my plans for college have to change. And so for, for me, it was just, you know, I've just got to create some type of mm. space if I'm really going to live this new life. And so mm.
0: that's a uh, that's an incredible story. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, yeah. Paul. Paul had his Damascus Road, and you had your dirt your dirt road experience.
1: That was it, man. I was so hard headed. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, how did you get from there to uh, you know, planning, pastoring a church in Atlanta? Uh, what, what was that journey yeah. like?
1: I went to school at Baylor, lived like any other college freshman for the first six weeks, stumbled into a Bible study, and the Lord rocked me again. Mm-hmm. And so I just came home and. You know, all the new friends that I made, all the parties and stuff that we used to go to, it was like, they kept on, and I just sat in my room reading my Bible, trying to make sense of it all. And uh, I had a roommate at the time who was not a Christian, and then he goes home for Christmas break, and he comes back the spring of 03, and he's a Christian. Mm. And so for the past 15 years, me and Richard have just been hey, as long as we're in the same city, we're going to do all that we can to make sure that uh, people see the greatness of the Lord Jesus. And Richard pastors the church that I'm at to this day. And so it was Baylor through there, grew a burden for the church, left Baylor, linked up with a guy by the name of Dahadi.
0: I know um, that guy.
1: Who, yeah, was in Denton, Texas. And mm-hmm. so I did a seminary out in Dallas, while I worked on staff at this church in Denton, Texas, mm-hmm. it was in Denton, uh, that I met and married my beautiful wife, Chandra, and we were in Denton for three years, and um, the Lord grew this burden inside of our heart to uh, do all that we could with the small platform that we had to train urban mm. church planters to go out and to reproduce the types of churches where people would walk in and didn't feel as if they had to choose in between their theology and their context. Mm. But they could come in and like Acts to say, this is amazing, right? We can hear the mighty works of God in our own tongue. Mm. Um, mm. And so that led us to move to Atlanta in 2009 to start Blueprint Church, and the Lord did some amazing things there. And I was on staff there for six years until... Richard Mullen, my freshman roommate, who made the trip with us to Atlanta to plant that church, him and his family and a few other families moved um, to a low-income, typical inner-city blighted community on the southwest side of Atlanta. And after a few years of groundwork, they just came to the point where it's like, hey, we think that God's at work. We think that there needs to be a church here. Mm. John, I think that we can make this work. And so Blueprint sent us out to mm. plant that church. And we, me and Richard got on the phone with our two best friends at the time. And, you know, I, I called my friend Trip, Richard called his friend Moe, and we said, hey, we're getting ready to start this church. And we think that uh, God has a plan for your life and it's in Atlanta mm. um, in this church. And they both moved down in June 2015 with about, you know, 40 other mm-hmm. folks that had all moved close to the southwest side, and we launched Cornerstone
0: Church. Yeah. And
1: three and a half years later, we're here.
0: Just, That's awesome. Yeah. You know, what's so interesting is uh, just talking to you, talking to Dahadi, talking to Tripp and all those guys, like there was something going on in uh, in Denton, Texas, just this hey, kind of, the kind of discipleship crazy. culture. When you think of all the guys that came out of that culture, what— what was it about that kind of discipleship that just launched you guys? Yeah. So I don't know. Um, I, so I can't pinpoint,
1: right? There's a thing about like being a, a, a amazed at what God did, but I think in, in hindsight, I think it was a group of guys there who met Jesus, at a similar stage in their life, and just found themselves like, just gripped with, all right, I grew up. I thought I knew what Christianity was. Now I'm seeing it's so much more than just, right, don't sin, right, don't smoke, don't have sex outside of marriage. I'm seeing that there's this mission the guys called us to be on, um, and it was just, I don't know that. Hey.
0: Yeah, it, yeah, the, oh, it it's yeah. it's remarkable. I mean, I I just uh the discipleship there, what God was doing, it's like interesting to see just the the Holy Spirit yeah. kind of birth that uh in you yeah. guys. And and I love what y'all are doing in Atlanta, you and Dehati, and all of you guys. And um I am. I want to talk a, a, about prayer. I mean, what in your yeah. in your heart, what motivated you to write this book on prayer at this time?
1: Yeah. Well, um So, you know, it was really birthed out of this, uh,
0: the church plant on the southwest side,
1: right? So Richard and a group of folks moved to the southwest side of Atlanta. This is seven years ago. And just to give you a sense of kind of what things were like then, Richard, his family and another family lived in Section 8 housing. Um, They paid full price, but they were just in a community of folks that, Yeah, we're just, um, I mean, you just think of inner city, poor, disenfranchised, and things really came to a head with them where when one day, you know, long story short, one of the guys comes out on his front porch to see um, a guy who has this big van. Inside of the van, there's a man slumped over in a pool of blood, um, and this guy has a rifle and is beating the head in of a woman so hard that the Mm. rifle is breaking. Mm. He calls out for him to stop, says that he's going to call the cops. The man gets into his car, backs up, hits this lady and drives off. And the last word that he says is, I'm coming back. So they freaked out. You know, they call the cops. The lady gets help. Richard's wife calls me, they come and stay in my house. And I tell them, Hey, y'all can stay as long as you want. And Richard goes that night to a study, studies the scripture, prays, and he comes back and just says, man, we moved here on this side to talk to folks about the greatness of the Lord Jesus. What's it going to look like if at the first sign of trouble, we leave Mm -hmm. and, um, they don't have any place else to go. And he's just like, man, this is what we want to give our lives to. Mm. And, you know, and if we die, then we die, but death is, is not the end. And I just remember just the clarity of mind that he had and the boldness. Mm. And it all really came from right praying. And Mm. so Mm. as we were getting ready to start this church, Right, all the conventional wisdom and advice that we got was that's not the best place to start a church plant. The median income is too low. You're going to have to raise support for the rest of your life. The church is not going to be able to sustain itself. It's not going to be a diverse church. People aren't going to want to come. Just all of this, and so the first like launch meeting that we had at this church, we're reading through the Book of Nehemiah, and I mean, it's you know ninety dollars in our bank account. Uh-huh. We don't have any funds. We're in Richard's home. We don't know where we're going to meet. And we read this story of a man that was burdened by his community or his home being destroyed, and he wanted to rebuild it for the glory of God. And you see these two prayers in chapter one and two. And then at the end of two, you see him. He's getting ready to go back. And the king, a government official, has agreed to fund the development of this work. And we all just sat there. The I still remember this clear day. August 2014. We sat there as a team, and we said, y'all, we serve this this same God. Like, Bye. let's pray. <laughs> so we sit down and we pray. The next day, and I forget how this pains out. I think Richard reached out to Mm -hmm. the councilwoman that lives in the West End, or she comes back and calls him. And she says, hey, I hear y'all are getting ready to start a church. I know the people that bought this church building in the context, a development group. And I think that they would love to have Mm y'all. And so we go the next day and find ourselves with a place to meet. And this group has agreed to pay for the renovations for the whole church building. And so it was like, just like that, we saw, oh, like when we run into a problem or a hangup, we can be filled with anxiety, try to stand on our own two feet and do this, or we can just sit back and be reminded, this is God's work. Let's have faith together, pray for the Lord to do sing. Um And so that really cemented in the life of our church Um, If we're going to advance God's mission and be successful with what God has called us to do, then we have to start with praying to him. Because when we pray to him, it's not like we're we're trying to twist his arm, right? God is too strong for us to twist his arm. We're merely asking God to do what he already wants to do. And Mm -hmm. so it really just came off of man models that we've seen in the past, the folks that built their church on prayer, a group of us that felt like we don't have the means and the networks and the platforms and all of that to start this. Like all that we had was an um, uh, omnipotent God who sits in the skies and who calls himself father, which means he's inclined to hear from us.
2: Mm-hmm. And we
1: started to pray. And when I tell you, like, um, so, you know, this is the, the, Third church plan I've been a part of, the fourth, if you count the one that my dad started when I was 16. And I just, just at this point, I mean, it was just um, like everything came together and even the things that were hard, it just, there wasn't an anxiety uh, about God's work. There was an excitement and an anticipation because we just saw the ways. That God answered those prayers. And I think it really built in us a community of folks that had this deep and robust um, faith when nothing was impossible. So the book was really birthed out of man, there's lots that's written about what the church should do and how a church should plan and how a church should preach. And all of those are important. But when it comes to prayer, prayer was always treated. Or in lots of the stuff that I've read, as an individual, personal exercise, and I just feel like seeing prayer in that light only betrays the very essence of our communal, corporate um, faith. And so, the the goal was made just based on how our church started, based on the things that I've seen. I really wanted to write this book, just kind of to insert a puzzle piece that I felt was missing in the puzzles that had already been assembled about what prayer is.
0: Yeah, and what I... I mean, just hearing your story is just is just so powerful, and I think what what you bring in this book and what you're talking about is the idea of praying together in corporate prayer. I think a lot of times when we think about prayer, we think of individual prayer, which right. is, is still very important and vital... Uh, Absolutely. But there's a special power and presence when God's people come together to pray, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And and especially churchwide. I think we're even thinking in our church, we're reading through your book uh, at the church I'm a part of at Green Hill Church here in Nashville. You know, sometimes it's, you know, organized by the leadership. We're going to get together and pray in this this yeah. this time, but a lot of times, and I'd love you to talk about this, you know, sometimes it seems like it's organic, that it's not a program or an event, that, but yeah. God's people are just coming together, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think, like, that's when it really starts to take off, right? You know, you know I say all the time, uh, you need two things to start a prayer meeting. You need brothers and sisters in, in the faith, and you need problems. Anywhere that you have those two things, those are all the ingredients that you need. And I think sometimes, like, it, prayer and the, the life of the church, I think it really explodes, not when it comes programmatically, right, from the top down, but more grassroots from the ground up. And you just start to see groups of folks that are praying. And then what you have is, right, all of us have problems right? All of us have things to complain about, but the world that we live in is not split up into people that have things to complain about and those that don't have things to complain about. The world is split up in between people that complain about those things and those that don't, and what you can just find in the church when this takes place is just pockets of people that have these incredible problems but they have this overwhelming sense of peace mm. and that's just contagious right and so that spreads that's the, the that's the the like small spark in a dry forest that yeah, it doesn't take programs it does not take structure and administration it takes just the small practice and it it spreads like a wildfire mm.
0: What would you say to pastors, just ordinary folks just listening and yeah. saying, you know, I want to start a vibrant prayer ministry in my church. You know, what should I be doing? All
1: right. If you're a pastor, one of the things that I would say is, so if you say, I want to start a vibrant prayer meeting, I would say, well, the very first thing that you have to do is uh, curb your expectations and define how you're going to measure Vibrant. One thing that I can be pretty sure of is, if you determine the vibrancy by the amount of people that are in the room when you try to start a prayer meeting at your church, you'll be incredibly discouraged. Mm. People will gather to preach. People will gather to serve. People will gather to protest. But when it comes to prayer, um, people just just don't. Uh, initially gather so I would say if you're a pastor think of it like um like if you were to go in front of your house and say hey I want to plant a vibrant oak tree um you're not going to start off with a big oak tree you're going to start off with the acorn and you've just got to be faithful to do the ordinary consistent things that will get that acorn to be an oak tree one day and so I'd say from prayer standpoint, what we've done is we said, hey, we're going to start it and we're just going to set it in stone. It's going to be cemented. Nothing is going to move it. There's not going to be a thing that makes us cancel it because we want to show the importance and the absolute necessity of it. I'd say that's one. Uh, But two, I'd say, man, as you start, uh, one of the things that we have to do and that we don't do well is we have to be historians, right? These very ardent historians when it comes to prayer. And that just means chronicling the things that we're praying about, the things that we ask God to do, and then drawing the church's attention back to what God has done. Um, I just feel like we have this nasty thing inside of us where it's easy to take things for granted Um, And I think that'll be the thing that kills prayer in the life of the church if we're constantly asking God for things, but we don't have the wherewithal to thank him for the things that he does. It'll leave folks feeling as if God is not at work as opposed to them seeing, wait a minute, God has actually met or answered all the things that we prayed for. So I would say put it just... Put it in there and start. If it's two or three folks, that's fantastic. It's a prayer meeting. You're not on your own. And then I'd say start there and just move on. Plant that seed first and just go to work.
0: I'm thinking about, you know, how to gather people and how to yeah. ignite something like this. But also one of the one of the roles that pastors have is to teach people Absolutely. how to pray and teach through this. And, and it seems like as a pastor, you know— it's very similar to evangelism that it quickly becomes just kind of guilt based that everyone's like, yeah, we don't, we don't pray enough. We don't pray enough. Yeah. How, yeah. Do, how do you teach through prayer in a way that does motivate and challenge people to pray, but also doesn't right. just become like, oh yeah, we need to do more type thing.
1: Yeah. So I think I, it's going to sound like I'm being sarcastic at first, but I'm not. It'll It'll make sense once I talk through it. But if you teach, the words of Jesus in the ways that he taught on prayer, what you'll quickly find out is that he never uses guilt as a motivation to get folks to pray. He's always going to use the generosity of God. So he's not gonna hit folks with you should pray more, but he's constantly gonna say things like "In, in the Lord's prayer, right? No, here's how you pray. And the first word that he starts off is with our father in heaven. So so the very first instruction that he gives is, hey, there is somebody that sits in heaven in the seat of ultimate power and authority. And instead of him looking to you in judgment, he's inclined to give you the desires of your heart. He's a father, and so he shows, God has amazing capabilities, but it's matched with this incredible compassion, and it's yours if you would just pray. Luke 18, right, when Jesus talks about, you know, the parable of the persistent widow, and what he tells him is, hey, listen, the effectiveness of your prayers is not about your regimen or your routine the effectiveness of your prayers has to do with the relationship right at the end of that story he's like yo if this judge that didn't know this lady that kept on trying to bang at his front door gave her what she asked for he says is how much more right will your father right give justice speedily to to those of us that Ask it, and I think, man, as we just recount how Jesus teaches on prayer, how the Bible and encourages us to pray, um, it's so far from from the guilt based way that we try to uh, pray, and we find nothing but encouragement and incentive when it comes to prayer, right? And not like guilt and indignation that we haven't pray.
0: That's a really good word. Man, this is such a uh, good topic, and I just want to encourage people to get your book. We'll have a link to it on our website. Uh, It's just really helpful, and it's very readable, very helpful, and I think very, you know, for for me as a pastor and other pastors, just kind of encouraging uh, that we can do this. But I I really want to thank you for for joining me and grateful for your ministry.
1: Yeah, glad to be here, man. Now we have to do one of these where we talk about
0: ball. Yeah, absolutely. It may not
1: be here, maybe someplace else. Yeah,
0: we do. We just do oh. need to need to do an All NBA one. That'd be awesome. Hey, we'll make it
1: happen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Way Home podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please let us know by writing a review on iTunes. You can catch previous episodes on danieldarling.com. The Way Home is produced by Gary Lancaster and scheduling by Marie Delph. The Way Home is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention.